Father, we thank you for this reality that you really are everything to us. Father, even as we ran down the list, I think we can all identify with something. You've been a provider. Somebody was sick last year and experienced you as a healer. I wonder how many people are grew up in, without a father and you've been that father to them. So, Father, we sum this up not just by calling you Savior, but the climax of that song is calling on Jesus. And Lord, that's what we come to do today. We come to call on the name of Jesus through song and through your word and through remembering what you did for us on the cross. And so, God, we thank you today. We thank you this morning. Our time together would be in vain if Jesus is not central. So, God, would you make him central today? He already is that, but help us to experience that centrality. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. 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 Well, good morning. Uh, is it still morning time? Yes. Good afternoon, Epiphany Church. It is good to be here, good to be gathered with God's people. Listen, real talk, I have a lot to do in a very, very short amount of time to do it in. So if you guys can grab your Bibles and meet me in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, it is Vision Sunday. Uh, and uh, that, that means our flow is a little bit different today. We will not have our typical flow through, uh, through sermon time in, in terms of uh, I, I won't sit up here and just uh, do expository preaching the entire time. But my hope is to preach a little bit and then direct your attention to the screen so that we can talk a little bit about vision, look back at 20. Uh, 18 and also put our, our minds forward to 2019. Before we do that, can you just look at your neighbor and say, it's, it's good to see you. It's good to be here. Tell them nothing says community like closeness. Y'all sitting right on top of each other this afternoon. Amen. Well, listen, this is what we're going to do because, because I, I, I am so devoted to the word of God. It is impossible. I, I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight if all we did was talked about vision and I just walked through a presentation with you, but uh, my hope is to get into the word of God. We're committed to that. So Matthew 16, uh, pick me up in verse 13. I'm going to jump right in. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, underline this, you are the Messiah. If you have an ESV, it says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overpower it. I want to preach from the topic, staying with our theme, Vision Sunday. I couldn't come up with anything creative, so Vision Sunday is what it is. Let's look to the Lord before we dig into the word. Uh, Father, we, we need you. Uh, I could end the prayer right there because we are totally dependent on you. So this moment, oh God, is no different. We need you to hear your word. I, I need you to proclaim your word, pray for strength and uh, endurance. I pray for boldness and Ultimately, Lord, we pray today for gospel clarity. So may Jesus be seen through our time today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Vision Sunday. Uh, as we kick off our year as a church going through 2019, it's important for uh, us to realize 
uh, that we are building the church and that we are helping to grow the church based on the foundation of the church being Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The foundation of the church, this local church, is Jesus Christ. If you try to build the church on anything else, the church will crumble and the church will fail. For, for example, uh, the church is not built on who has the best music. I'm grateful for our worship team. Can we thank God for our worship team once more? Some very, very talented musicians, some very gifted and godly worship uh, leaders. And I'm grateful for worship, uh, but we don't build the church off of the worship team. We, don't, we, we love child care. We have children's ministry. You're able to come in undistracted and worship Jesus. You can drop your baby off in the kids' room, and you know that they're going to get the gospel. <laughs> I need a parent to say amen. You ain't got no, nobody tapping. You saying, take me to the bathroom. Give me some cookies. We got them covered. But, but we're not just, it's, not just, it's not just romper room. We're not letting them run around, and, and they're divided. What we are doing is pouring the gospel into your babies. And so I'm grateful for children's ministry, but hear me and hear me well. We don't build the church purely based on children's ministry. We don't build the church on programs, and we don't build the church on the charisma of a leader. We don't build the church off of cool websites and cool apps, and we don't build the church off of social media and all of those things. We don't build the church off the wisdom of the elders. The church is not only built but sustained by the foundation, and the foundation has to be Jesus Christ. Because when the church is built off Jesus Christ, it is what I would say unstoppable. But if the church is built on anything else, it can be stopped. For example, if the church was built on the worship team and music, what happens when Tashina loses her voice? What happens, God forbid, if Chris breaks his hands, Josh breaks his hands, the drummer uh, Justin breaks his leg, and everybody breaks their something? What happens, what happens then to the church if we're like, I came here for the worship team, but all of them are sick and hurt? The church will start to crumble. If it's built off the charisma of a leader, what happens when that charismatic leader dies? It's got to be built off Jesus Christ because everything else is faulty, but it's unstoppable, purely based on the foundation being Jesus Christ. And I don't want to ignore, as we talk about the church today, I don't want to ignore that many of you have came in today with some serious church hurt. And maybe you've come from a different church and you experienced church, or maybe you experienced church here, because I don't want, I don't want to breathe this atmosphere that we have a church that is absent of being having church hurt. For, for example, if you came from another church and came here because everybody nice and I won't experience church hurt here, stay around for a little bit. You're going to get lit up here, too. And the reason is there, it's not intentional. But whenever you get a bunch of sinners together, get a bunch of sinners in the room, you're bound to get hurt by somebody else or you're bound to get hurt by the leaders. Why? Because we're all sinful and there's only one person that we're striving to be like, and that is Jesus Christ. And so don't get bamboozled into thinking that the church is stoppable because of the, the church hurt that you've experienced. It's still unstoppable. And the reason it's unstoppable is because of our foundation. So our passage today, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, all the way to verse 18, really shows us what the church is built on. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, before we get into vision, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time doing exposition, which is going through verse by verse and line by line. Uh, it's going it's to feel like we're doing the electric slide straight through it because I'm going to move quick. 
So if you could stay with me, look at verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? It's important for us to note the location that they're at. They're in Caesarea Philippi. Now, normally when we read the scriptures, what we do is, you know, we want to get right to the meat. We want to get right to the content. So what was the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples? But that is a mistake. Bible, by Bible reading 101, if they're entering into a town, if they're entering into a village or they're entering into a city, it is important for you to do some homework on what was taking place in that city. So the Bible says that they're entering into a region called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is, uh, is located north of the Sea of Galilee. I, I was privileged to go there when I uh, went to Israel. I got to go to Caesarea Philippi, and I was so excited. In fact, we did a devotion and a Bible study on this very passage that we're in, and so it was an exciting time. But one of the things I found out about Caesarea Philippi is that it was a, an extremely religiously diverse city. Now, why is that important? It's important because the claim that Jesus makes is so important based on the location that he's at because he's making it in the midst of a bunch of false gods. In Caesarea Philippi, they worshipped Zeus. They worshipped Pan. They worshipped Baal. Even the emperor Caesar, Julius Caesar, had a temple in Caesarea Philippi that was dedicated to him. Now, this is important because when Jesus makes the, or when Peter makes this claim that you are the Messiah or you are the Christ, he's basically denouncing that Caesar is the ruler and king. He's denouncing the false worship of Baal and the false worship of Pan and the false worship of Zeus. He's saying that he's the Messiah. That means everybody else ain't the Messiah. And this is important for us to understand because we're in a borough that is extremely religiously diverse. And in fact, if you jump on a train and go down to the Dumbo section of Brooklyn, uh, and Dumbo is, is, the, is the headquarters for, for Jehovah's Witness. It is where they make the watchtowers that go around the world. And so when I read this, I'm like, oh, okay, we're, we're in a similar context like Caesarea Philippi. If you go on the corner, sometimes when it's warmer, you'll see Hebrew Israelites outside. And they're, they're spewing off what I would say bad exegesis, particularly of the Old Testament. They're looking at places like Deuteronomy 28. And if you ever listen to them, they're, they're spewing out hate and don't understand the gospel. If you look at uh, around Brooklyn, they have places uh, that are called spiritual worship centers. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but basically all religions are allowed to, to come in. And we got five different books that are all authoritative that you could read from that, that we, one of them is a book of poems and we allow you to say whatever you want. And we just, we bite, we get bits and pieces of different religions and we bring them all together. But when I read this passage, I realize Jesus is very exclusive in what he's saying. It, this is not a, this is not a gospel of inclusion where every, we can get bits and pieces and all of it's a little bit of truth. No, Jesus says, I'm the way, not a way. I'm not one of the ways. I'm not the better of a bunch of different religions. I'm it. There is nothing else outside of me. And if you're new here or if you're not a believer and you came here, first of all, we want to say thank you. I know it's hard to come to a church service and, and it seems weird. And we thank you for being here. And if I sound like I'm being exclusive, I'm only saying it because that's exactly what Jesus is doing in the passage. He's saying the worship of Pan ain't it. 
the worship of Zeus ain't it. But he says, Peter, with the words that you just said, that's it. I'm the Messiah. I am the one true God. And if you read through the rest of the scriptures, God always flosses his muscles against false religions. Always. This ain't the only place he's doing it. But if you look at places like 1 Kings 18, I don't know if you remember the story uh, with the prophets of Baal. The Bible says there's, there's 450 prophets of Baal and one prophet of God, which is Elijah. And they, they, they really have, you know how they have battle raps? They, they really have a battle. <laughs> and so what they do is the 450 prophets say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build an altar. We're going to get a bull and we're going to sacrifice it and we're going to call on our God. And if he lights our fire, he's the one true God. And then, Elijah, you do the same thing. And if God lights your altar, then you are serving the one true God. And so Elijah accepts it. And so what do they do? The prophets of Baal build the altar. They get a bull and they run around. The Bible says from morning to night. And all they did was called on their God. They're cutting themselves. They're screaming out. And, I, you know, I love the Bible because it always affirms a little bit of sarcasm is okay. Because as they're running around cutting themselves, Elijah sitting back going, real talk, read it. First Corinthians 18. He goes, maybe your God's in the bathroom. He goes, maybe your God's asleep. And after their altar was not lit, he turned to his altar. But his God is so dope, he can't just call fire. He got to floss a little bit. So he says, y'all do me a favor. Bring a bucket of water and pour it on the altar. They bring a bucket of water and they pour it on the altar. He says, that's not enough. Go get another bucket of water. They get another bucket of water and they pour it on the altar. He says, that's still not enough. Go get a third bucket of water. They get a third bucket of water and they pour it on the altar. And then Elijah calls up to heaven and calls on his God. And the Bible says that God sends fire, licks up the water and sends fire on the altar. 450 prophets fall to their knees and say, that is the one true God. God always flexes his muscles against other religions. He always flexes his mu muscles against false uh, a worship of Pan and Zeus. And we may not understand it if we skip by verse 13, but that's exactly what he's doing in verse 13. He enters into Caesarea Philippi and he looks at the mountains and in the mountains they have carved these worship gods and he flosses his muscles and he says, oh, I'm building my church right here. And then he goes so far as to say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God is flexing his muscles by entering into Caesarea Philippi and claiming that he is the Messiah and that he's building his church there. Let's keep going so we can so we can see what Jesus is asking. Here's the question Jesus asked them. Verse 13. He asked the disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Just a quick, quick note. Whenever God in the flesh is asking a question, it's always rhetorical. He's not asking a question because he actually wants the answer. He's asking a question to reveal to the people he's asking the truth of that answer. But whenever the scriptures, it's never for Jesus' benefit. It's always for ours. In other words, Jesus isn't sitting there having some identity crisis, trying to figure out who he is. So let me ask the 12 boys. And if I ask them who people say that I am, then I'm going to build my identity. No, he knows who he is. You know how I know? Because even in the question, he gives them the answer. He says, who do people say that the son of man is? Messianic title. Jesus said, I'm, I'm already claiming it, but I got to make sure you know who I am. So who do people say that the son 
of man is. Here's their response, verse 14. They replied, some say. Let's stop right there for a second. If you're ever getting the answer, and the answer starts with some say, it probably ain't right. If you ask your boy for counsel, and they be like, yeah, you know, some say, you can just discredit the entire answer. This answer is no different. Look at what he says. Look at what they say. Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, clearly they were wrong. They must have believed in incarnation because they start by saying, some say that you are John the Baptist. We know he's not John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been beheaded by this point. Then then he goes on to say, well, what about Elijah? Maybe he's Elijah, but he's not Elijah because Elijah has been dead for years. Then they say, well, what about Jeremiah? He's not Jeremiah. So they were wrong in those three assessments. Here's my question and homework for you. Are they wrong about calling him a prophet? Because he's absolutely a prophet. There's three, there's three titles that Jesus holds. And the problem with them only calling him a prophet is that they're partially right. And then let me expose to you the danger in being partially right about Jesus. You got to know who he is. You, you can't know partial facts about Jesus. You got to fully know who Jesus is. And as we get to 2019 and as a church, you need to know my goal and my hope as your pastor is to make sure that this church fully knows who he is, not partially knows who he is. So we don't preach a partial Jesus. We preach a whole Jesus. So they say, maybe you are one of the prophets. And they're right, because Jesus, he holds three eternal offices. He's prophet, he's priest, and he's king. He's a prophet because he speaks on behalf of God the Father. he's He's a priest because He provides sacrifices, which is dope because in the Old Testament, when the priests would provide a sacrifice, they'd go get the bull, they'd go get the the lamb, and they would bring it to the altar. But Jesus is so dope because he's not only a priest that provides the sacrifice, he's a priest that is the sacrifice. So he don't only provide it. He says, oh, not only am I providing for you, but I am the provision. I'm the sacrifice for you. He's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. He's a priest because he provides the sacrifice, the cross. And then he's absolutely a king. Why is he a king? Because he rules over all. And so they're partially right here. They're wrong about Elijah. They're wrong about Jeremiah. They're wrong about John the Baptist. But they're somewhat right about saying he's a prophet. But he is more than a prophet. Let's keep going. Verse 15. But you, he asked. So he's now asking a more direct question. Not who do people say? Who do you say that I am? Is what he says in verse 15. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Why am I not surprised that Peter answers? Anytime you need someone to step up and talk or answer, it's always going to be Peter. But Peter's that dude, you know, Peter, he's a little bold. He's a little brazen. He can be a little rude. Peter's the dude that in Acts 2, he could preach a message. 3,000 souls get added to the church. But then he could turn around and defend Jesus and cut somebody's ear off. Like, you need, you need a Peter in your life. That, that, that person that's going to take you to the word, make, take you to the gospel, but that person that will defend and fight for you at the drop of a hat, that's Peter. And that's why I like him. And so I'm not surprised that Peter is the one that answers. But more important than Peter being the one that answers is what Peter says. He says, you're the Messiah. 
To say that you're the Messiah is to say you're the one that we've been waiting for. To say that you're the Messiah is to say you're the one that fulfills all of the Old Testament. To say that you are the Messiah is to say, I'm not bowing a knee to the worship of Pan. I'm not bowing a knee to Caesar. I'm not bowing a knee to Zeus. To say that you are the Christ means I denounce all others. Hear me in 2019. That's the all I got for you is Jesus. Like it's either preach Jesus or go back to Verizon Wireless. That's my that's my future. I got no other. If you're bored with the gospel, I ain't got nothing else for you. It's him and him alone. And when I when I when I read this, Peter understood that. Peter's like, listen, you are the Christ. That that means that Caesar, even though he can put a he can put his 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 uh, statues in the temple if he wants to. But I'm not bowing a knee to anything else or anybody else. I'm bowing a knee to Jesus and Jesus alone. Now. I'm excited that he came to that conclusion, but I want to know how do you come to that conclusion? How do you know that he is the Messiah? How do you know that you need to to discredit everybody else and focus on Jesus? Here's how you know. Verse 17. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of John or Simon Barjona, which means son of John. Because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you didn't come to that conclusion from some academic standpoint. You didn't come to that conclusion because your father taught you that. You came to the conclusion that he is the Messiah because God revealed to you that he is the Messiah. I know what you're saying. You know, now, Pastor, I don't believe that because I came down to the altar and I said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I ran up to the altar and I gave my life to the Lord. But Before you came up and gave your life to the Lord, in your seat, God revealed to you who Jesus was, which gave you the ability to respond to who he is. So the Bible says here that Jesus is saying to him, I I, I like that you said that. But more importantly, you got revealed that not because of your father, Jonah. Like you what I can promise you in 2019 is that I will not preach flesh and blood theology. Flesh and blood theology is, is I read the scriptures, I close the Bible, and I go over here and I preach a bunch of opinion. Flesh and blood theology is something that is passed down to you as in a tradition. Just because your mama said it don't make it right. Just because your dad said it doesn't make it right. Doesn't, just because the bishop said it doesn't make it right. Just because your pastor says it doesn't make it right. You need to read the Bible. Why? Because that is where you get the revealed word of God. So many of us only come in and we only open our scriptures on a Sunday. What about Monday through Saturday? Are you not in the word? Flesh and blood doesn't reveal that to you. Flesh and blood, flesh and blood theology will destroy. It, it makes an unhealthy church. A bunch of opinions and a bunch of thoughts and me doing a bunch of rambling. That's why when we get in the scriptures, I keep it open until I'm, until I'm done and then I close it. Why do I do that? Because if I, if I don't do that, I'll veer to flesh and blood theology. And so many churches start out reading and being faithful to the scriptures and then go on tangents. Why? Because church growth tells you that's how you build the church. It's not that's how you may, you may gather people by flesh and blood theology, but you will not grow your soul by it. You will not be mature by it. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm glad you said that. You're right. Flesh and blood. You're, you're right. I am the Messiah. But let me tell you what I'm more excited about. That who revealed that to you is my father. You didn't get that because you wrote notes on a Sunday. 
You didn't get that because you heard me talk about Caesarea Philippi. You understand who Jesus is because God the Father reveals that to you. Let me put a little Bible and I'm going to move on because I'm running out of time. Galatians 1, 15 to 16. Here's what Paul says. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and he who called me by his grace, here it is, was pleased to reveal the son to me. If you trusted in Jesus, it's because God was pleased to reveal the son to you. So flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. What, I, what reveals that to you is my father. Okay, let's end here. Verse 18. Verse 18 is a very important verse because if we're not careful, we can build some really unhealthy theology around it. And some have. Verse 18. Let me read 17 into 18. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of uh, Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail. Jesus just says, listen, what you just said, I'm building my church on. Now, why is this important? The Catholic church you get the pope because of verse 18. In other words, the Catholic church believes that the first pope was Peter. And so what Peter, they, they built the church off of Peter, but the church ain't built off a sinful man like Peter. You know how sinful Peter was? You, there was times where Peter got shady with the Gentiles when the Jews came around. That There were times where he denied Jesus three times. So the church ain't built off a sinful man, it's built off the words that Peter said, you're the Messiah. So in other words, when I went to, when I went to Israel, I was privileged to go to Peter's house. He, his house was in Capernaum, or in Israel they call it Capernaum, and we get to his house, and I, I was blown away by this. I did not research it, so I didn't know what to expect. I get to his house, and above his house is a Catholic church. Like literally his house is here, and on stencils they built an entire church a Catholic church above it. Why? Because they believe he's the first pope. It's unhealthy to build a theology off of one verse, especially a verse that starts with and. Because a verse that starts with and means something came before it. And in this case, something important came before. What came before it? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Jesus is like, listen, I'm not building on Peter as a person. I'm building on what Peter said. In other words, Peter, you just claimed my divinity. I built my church off me being fully God and fully man. And that is what our church is building this church off of. There's, a, there's, a, there's something I learned in the third grade. It talks about how the, a noun must go back to the nearest pronoun or the nearest antecedent. Y'all remember that somewhat? Okay, let me teach it. I built my, my third grade school teacher hat on. So, so. If there's a noun, if there's a noun in a sentence, it has or a, pro, a pronoun in the sentence, the pronoun has to go back to a noun. So the pronoun in this sentence is this, right? On this church, I will build, on this uh, rock, I will build my church. What does this go back to? It has to find a noun. Let's be honest. The closest noun is Peter. A noun is a person, a place, or a thing. So the closest thing back to that, closest noun, is Peter. But Jesus is not saying, I'm building the church on Peter as a person, but I'm building the church on what Peter said, what uh, 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 Paul said, what the apostles say, what does James say. I'm building the church off of what's preached, not the person. So this is important for us. And as we move to a time of uh, a vision, 
we need to do a foundation check as a church. We, we, we need to make sure that we're not building this thing off the charisma of a leader. And we're not building this thing off the worship team. Like, praise God for the worship team. We're not building this church off of logos and, and websites and social media. We're not, we are building this church, and we got to maintain this. We're building it on Jesus and Jesus alone. And maybe you don't know him. You need to do a foundation check today. You need to swap your foundation because anything else is unstable. For, for example, my, my wife and I, we were suffering for Jesus in 80-degree weather in Miami earlier this week. We were suffering. It's a horrible time. And, and on the flight going down to Miami, we, we, you know, you don't go from the, from the gate straight to the plane. You go through that little tunnel, right? You know that tunnel is up in the air. It's a little unstable. And we're, we're on the tunnel, and I kid you not, the thing stayed. It wasn't a hard shift, but there was like a shift, like the wheels were turning or something underneath of us. And we're sitting on this thing, and I'm going, yo, my wife just had back surgery, so I don't want her to fall. I felt like my feet were, you know, not really stable. And that's what I, when I, when I was sitting in that moment, I was going, that's an unstable surface. That's an unstable foundation. That's an unstable ground. The church can't be built on stuff like that. It got to be built on something solid. And Jesus Christ is the only solid one. And so if you don't know him, listen, you need to trust him today. He's the only one that took and absorbed all of your debt. 100% your sins have been absorbed in Jesus Christ. And the way to trust him is by professing faith in him and believing this message that he died for your sins. Therefore, you don't have to die for your sins. It's the gospel message. And if we build the church on anything else, we not only will lose steam, but we will fall apart just because the church is designed purely based on him. Let me move to a time. Thank you, babe. Let me move to a time of, of vision. Um, as we have this foundation of Jesus, that is all of the vision I'm going to be talked about. It comes from him. It has to be launched off the platform of him, because if it's not, again, this church will not make it. And you, you, you know a church when it's not being built on Jesus. You, you just, you feel it, you know it. If you can go to a church and never hear him, that's the church that's at being built on Jesus. You got to hear him. And so Vision Sunday, this is a moment where I get to look back at 2018, which we'll do. And I get to look forward at 2019, which I'm hoping some things we can tweak and do better and some ways we're trying to reach the community. All right, let's move through it. Mission statement. The mission statement of this church is we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. That's been our mission statement since day one. The first vision night we had was June 26 uh, in uh, uh, 2015. That was the first vision night we had, and we, we got to cast vision. And that's the first thing we said is we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. You know why I like that? There's a few things. Number one, it means that this church doesn't have a mission. It means that, that Jesus' mission has a church. So we're a part of what Jesus is doing. The second thing this mission statement does is it stops us from acting like we're some new phenomenon. Like we're, we're not, I know y'all like, man, the church is cool. They wear cut up jeans uh, and Timmy had on African garb up in the first service. You know, they can just, it's just kind of relax. You come as you are. It's a bunch of young people. It's diverse. It's white people. It's black people. It's Asian people. Like everybody's allowed to come to the church. And you think that that's cool. Like we're some new phenomenon, but we're not. We're joining Jesus in what he's been doing here. So it's very arrogant for a church plant to be like, oh, man, bed stop wouldn't have made it without us. Thank God we're here. That's arrogant. That's arrogant. And so, no, we're not. There's some faithful churches 
that have been in this neighborhood. I mean, I know churches down the street that started credit unions, that gave uh, 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 free uh, child care for single parents in this neighborhood. When black people couldn't get credit loans in this neighborhood, there were churches that had money that said, we'll give the loan so that they can get property. So don't, don't get arrogant. Don't think that we're some new phenomenon. No, we're joining Jesus in the mission that he's been doing here. So first, first point about our mission. Uh, Titus 2.11, I'll say it quickly. This is where we get our name from, Epiphany. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. That word appeared in the Greek literally means epiphany. So yes, we're connected to Epiphany Fellowship in Philly, but we get our name rooted straight from Scripture. It's not just passed down. Core values, Christ-centeredness. We believe in the centrality of Jesus. Let me give, let, let me call, uh, call out the difference between Jesus being central and him being first. Now, now, many of you have heard me say this, but maybe you haven't. Him being first means he's a check off the list. So I start with Jesus and then I move on to job, relationship and, and, and everything else, career and degree and all of that stuff. But I've already did my Jesus thing because he was first. But we don't believe he's first. We believe he's central because with him being central, everything on the list comes from him. So now he's central. How I do work is based on how I view Jesus. How I interact with my relationships is how I view my relationship with Jesus. So everything, where I get my degree from and where I go to, where I go to school, where I end up with life is all derived from Jesus. So we believe that he's central. Community, we believe in biblical community. We believe that we should have all things in common. In other words, there, there's a community within the community. There, there's a, it's almost like having a neighborhood within the neighborhood, the biblical community. That means that when someone loses their job, that they should not go without resources because their brother and sister to the right of them and to the left of them got they back. That's what, it, that's what biblical community means. It, it means when, when someone doesn't have a place to stay, then there should be 10 people going, I got room. So you get on your feet, come in. So we believe in biblical community, not cult. Not everybody sharing forks. I don't eat off nobody else's forks. <laughs> I don't. But biblical community, there should be boundaries, but we should have community. All right, we believe in commitment. In other words, uh, uh, Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, this community. They devoted themselves to the prayers and to the fellowship. And so... Uh, commitment is very, very important. Commitment to one another, commitment to the Lord, which means commitment pushes against this idea of you coming to the community and we gossip about you. We hear your business and then we go tell somebody else. Commitment means I'm committed to you. I'm not gossiping about you. I'm going to replace that with prayer. Now, before, before this, I would have gossiped about you. Y'all acting like y'all don't gossip. <laughs> Be before this, I would have told everybody your business, but I'm not going to do that now because I'm a Christian. I'm devoted to, the, I'm devoted to commitment. Culturally relevant ministry, culturally relevant ministry means the church that's planted in Bed-Stuy must look like Bed-Stuy. Let me, let me try to break this down a little bit better. The church here in Bed-Stuy can't look like a church in Oklahoma. It can't look like a church in Idaho. It has to, look, it has to be relevant to the culture, which is why there are often times you come in and you hear me quote Cardi B or Meek Mill, you might hear me quote uh, Takashi 69 Treyway, just saying, you might hear me quote it. I'm praying for my brother Takashi. Real talk I am. 
But what, what, what I'm doing is I'm making, okay, let me root this in Scripture because I know y'all like, you messed up. You all over the place. <laughs> let me root this in Scripture. There's a point where when Paul goes into Thessalonica, and when he gets there, he quotes to them. He sees the, the gods, and he finds an unknown god, and he says, that is Acts 17. And he says, oh, that, that, I can tell you about that god. And he starts to tell them about Jesus. But in telling them about Jesus, he quotes one of their Stoic philosophers. He said, even your Stoic philosophers say, and you know the scripture that says, in him we live and move and have our being. Do you know that's one of their Stoic philosophers? It's now our scriptures. So in other words, Paul got in there and he said, oh, this is what your people are saying. So let me contextualize and show you the gospel even from your own people, which is why I'm so serious. Like, I'm serious. It's not just about... Open up to Matthew 16. I want to I wanna quote familiar voices to the culture, culturally relevant ministry. It's very important that you do that. All right, we believe in uh, one of our core values is conversions. In other words, we don't want to just build the church based on uh, transferred growth. You leaving one church and going to another. Praise God, like you, we, we do need that, but we need to build the church off of lost people meeting Jesus. People that don't know the Lord they hear the gospel, not from me, but from you. You've shared the gospel with them. You've discipled them. Let me say that again. You've discipled them. It is very, it's unhealthy to share the gospel with somebody. They come to know Jesus and then you leave them by themselves. No, we disciple. And then after they're disciple, they're a part of the community and then they spiritually mature and they become deacons and they become elders and they become pastors. And I'm not doing this forever. This thing needs to be passed on to somebody who probably don't know Jesus right now. That's what this thing needs to be passed on to. So we believe in conversions. We believe the church needs to be built and the Great Commission is fulfilled when lost people, dead hearts come alive. When eyes that are blinded open because Jesus, as the text said, is revealed to them. Conversions. Our beliefs, I'll move quick here. It's a little bit of an overlap. We believe in the centrality of Jesus. We believe in the Holy Scriptures. Let me just say that again. That is very important to us. We don't believe in partial Scripture. We believe Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is all inspired by the Lord. And I've said this before. We believe that every period is intentional. Every comma is intentional. So we, we genuinely believe the entire word of God, which is why if you closed your eyes and just did one of these numbers like y'all doing devotion, y'all know y'all do it. You close your eyes and you just stick your finger here and be like, this is where I'm going today. If you do that and say, pastor, you got to preach from here. I'm not going to look at that scripture and go, oh, no, I don't believe that scripture. Why? Because every scripture is inspired by it's breathed out by God. Therefore, every scripture is important for us to go through which is why we're going through the book of Romans. We're not going through the book of Romans because I'm lazy and preaching and I don't feel like finding stuff. We're just going to go through it. No, we're going through it because we want to know what God has to say in every verse and in every single chapter. We want to get deep into it. So we believe in the Holy Scriptures. I got to move quicker. I get stuck, man. We believe in salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. In other words, we do not, we do not preach a works-based gospel here. Well, you got to earn your salvation. You don't got to earn your salvation. Jesus has earned it on your behalf. And we get saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. Believe in gospel priority. Every week you come here, you need to hear the gospel, not just from preaching. You need to hear the gospel in the worship music, which is why we don't have a bunch of songs that have enlarged my territory. 
it's not about us. It's about him. So we want to hear the gospel in our music and we end service by gospel priority, by doing communion to remember the cross. All right, let's talk a little bit about Brooklyn. Our target area is this neighborhood, Bedford-Stuyvesant. Notice I put and surrounding neighborhoods. This is not Epiphany Bed-Stuy. Now, we love Bed-Stuy, and we want Bed-Stuy to be the place that we open our doors and we can do ministry. That's what we, this is our, almost like our Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus said, stay here in Jerusalem, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Home was Jerusalem. So for us, home is Bed-Stuy, uh, but that doesn't mean that everybody that's a part of the church has to live in this neighborhood. But that means this is where we want to do ministry at. Population of Bed-Stuy is about 155,000 people. 2.6 million live in Brooklyn. 155 live in this neighborhood. And that's interesting because it's not a lot of square miles. If you do the math, it's 2.7, a little bit over 2.7 square miles. If you do the math on 155,000 people and put them into 2.7 square miles, that's about 40 to 45,000 people per square mile. That means we're, we're fighting not for land, but for airspace. <laughs> like, seriously, when I was in Miami, I, I went to one of my friends uh, has a church there, and we went to his church. He just got a, he just got a building. I, you know, I was in there trying to get some of that anointing rubbed on me. <laughs> so I was in his building, and, and you know, I realized in Miami they fight for land. But that's not, I mean, you literally in Brooklyn can sell your airspace. If you own a space, you can sell the the, the air that's above your house. Why? Because it's a lot of people that live on top of each other here. It's very important that we we contextualize how we do ministry, knowing that there's so many people that walk by this building every single day, 155,000 people, 2.7 square miles. Ethnic makeup of the city, 65% black, 20% Hispanic, 11% white. 2% 2% Asian, 2% other. Why do I have this up here? Because this is what the church should look like. In other words, it's impossible to say you're reaching the neighborhood if it's 65% black and 11% white, but all you got is black people in the church. The same, it, would be, it would be the same thing if you go to a white neighborhood and, and you know, sometimes my, my, my white friends will say, how do we get a, relig- a, a, a diverse church, an ethnic diverse church? And I'm like, well, your neighborhood's all white, so your church is probably going to be all white. It, it's, it's not like, it's not that, de- it's, it's, it's really simple. That's what the church should look like. 65% black, 20% Hispanic, 11% white, 2% Asian, 2% other. And the gospel is able to impact all of them. And the one common thing that we all have together now is not our our the way we grew up, it's not our worldview. What we have now in common is that we all trust Jesus Christ. And we would have walked by each other on the train, but now you and I love Jesus. Now we're in deep community. Now we're in fellowship. Now we're discipling one another. And this is what the church should look like, ethnic makeup. We should be diverse in how we look ethnically. All right, Bed-Stuy. Here's the population by age. Zero to 17 makes up 25% of this neighborhood. 18 to 24 makes up 12%. 25 to 44 make up 32%. By the way, 18 all the way to 44 is classified as the hardest to reach. They're not in church now. So that that age group is very hard to reach, which God is so gracious because that's 92% of our church is between those ages. Um, 45 to 64 make up 22% of the neighborhood. 65 plus make up 10% of the neighborhood. 
And we're trying to do better with the 0 to 17, and I'll, I'll show you how in a few minutes. 0 to 17, which really is teenagers, we're trying to do better with how we engage them. I mean, you know, when you start a church, when you start a, uh, a church plant, you typically, not always, but typically start with a bunch of, like, 20-year-olds, uh, typically. That's been our, our experience. We started this church, and most, I'm 38 now. I'll be 39 in a few months, and I'm one of the oldest in the church. Everybody, everybody else is much younger than me. And, and so what happens is we can forget about teenagers because if the average age is 23, they probably don't have a kid that's a teenager. Probably don't. And so what happens is the church doesn't start with a bunch of teenagers. But as you guys get older, as your kids get older, then we start to have more teenagers or as more families come. But the problem is if we don't have something set up now for them, they'll walk into the age of being a teenager and won't have anything for them. I got two boys that are teenagers. And when we started this church, they weren't teenagers. And now they are. And so we need to do more for our seven, zero to 17. And uh, we have some plans for 2019. All right, let me go back and do some highlights for 2018. Last year highlights, we did a lot last year. There were some things that we really, really focused on that took a lot of time, so we'll walk through them real quick. Sorry, I'm clicking. Spread love campaign, that took up a lot of our time. I won't, I won't spend a lot of time talking about what that is, but in a nutshell, that's our way to raise money. We tried to do it in a very organized and clean way. We had a lot of information out about what our Spread Love campaign is. It is our way of trying to get a bigger space, a larger space. So, so you guys, you're probably faithful to the 1130 service, which means you probably don't know anybody in the 930 service. Or you don't know anybody in the 130 service if this is your only service, which means you could have brothers and sisters that you're in community with that you don't even know. So we're trying to get a larger facility, number one, to get back to one service, but number two, so that we can do better ministry. We need classrooms, we need training rooms, we need rooms to do counseling in, we need larger kid space, we need a bigger auditorium for us to come in and do, and you can bring your 10 friends. When we first started the church, I had a friend call me and said, hey man, I got two, Carlos, two cars coming into church today. I'm like, dang. <laughs> hey, you know, you, that's bad when you feel like that. I was like, I don't know where they're going to sit. Dang. <laughs> Spread Love Campaign is our, our attempt to try to grow, you know, more space. And so be in prayer about that. Uh, Habakkuk series, we went through uh, the book of Habakkuk. I told you we're going through Romans next week, but we spent a ton of time, many months, I think it was about 10 months, in the book of Habakkuk. And so we finished that up last year. Prayer walk, uh, we love to do prayer walks. It's kind of how our church started before we had, in fact, let me go all the way back. When Ty and I were praying about planting the church here, her and I was, we used to, we were the only ones walking in the neighborhood. We'd walk and we'd pray. And then like, it was like, as the months went on, we would add. And so a few more people would say, hey, we want to be a part of the church. And so we do a prayer walk with, you know, five to 10 people. And now we're at the point where we do uh, church-wide prayer walks. Uh, we do it in the summer months or when it gets a little bit nicer out, spring to summer, sometimes in the fall. And the reason we do it in the, those, those nicer months is because it ain't cool doing a prayer walk and you got snot running down your nose. So we wait until after the winter. So keep a lookout. I think we're trying to do something in April, something right before Easter. Easter is late this year. So we'll try to do something in terms of a prayer walk before Easter. Christmas party. had a, I mean, the prison party was lit. <laughs> it wasn't just Christmas party. It was Christmas karaoke. The, the girls over here on the right sang booed up and... <laughs> 
I don't know if y'all see Sherry over there, but she is so excited. <laughs> so we'll do another Christmas karaoke this year because it really was. You know, one of the things I love about our church is our church is able to go deep in Scripture, but also just able to have fun. It ain't nothing just like being stuffy and deep and ain't nobody having fun. So we try to do some things to make it a little bit fun. So baptisms, last year we baptized 10 people. Very excited about that. But my hope is to double that this year, if not more. I, I really want to see us be faithful in baptisms. And so um, we'll, we'll continue to do that. We're very serious about it. We believe that if you trusted in Jesus, the very next steps or the appropriate response is baptism. Because that's, that's what they did in the scriptures. It kind of, ident- it doesn't kind of, it identifies you with the body. And it also uh, identifies us with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. We moved to three services in September. So we were, we were doing two services for a while. We ran out of space. And so in, in order to keep up with the growth that the Lord is doing, we moved to 930, 1130, and uh, 1.30. I can promise you my hope is not to go to four services. My, my hope is to spread love, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So y'all, y'all got to make sure y'all are giving so that we can get out of here. All right. We appointed deacons. Uh, if I call your name and you're a deacon, just raise your hand. Uh, we appointed eight deacons in March. Uh, Eddie, is Eddie here? Eddie's not here. Uh, Ron was here in the first service. Uh, Jess is up here. She's a deacon. Uh, Gabe is right there. He's a deacon. Uh, Chris Akimranade is somewhere back there. He's a deacon. I'm trying to get you guys familiar with your deacons. Uh, Felicia, I don't think she's here. Felicia's a deacon. She, uh, she leads worship sometime. Lanisha is somewhere right there. Uh, and her husband, Wendell, is back there. So those are our eight deacons. Can we thank God for our deacons? Uh, you are, do some research on the New Testament and what deacons mean to the church. They are, very, they are vital to the church. I mean, deacons literally mean servants. They're, they're here to serve the church. They met yesterday. I popped in the room. Uh, we were here for the men's deal. Uh, the men's meeting yesterday, and I popped in the room, uh, the kids' room, and the deacons, all eight of them were sitting in there, and they were planning and strategizing for the new year. Uh, They also did, we don't have a slide for it, but they did a, um, they handed out produce in front of one of the projects buildings uh, not too long ago. It was a good way for them to kind of get out there and serve and meet people in the neighborhood. So pray for our deacons. We are hoping to appoint more deacons. I'm not sure if we'll do that this year unless the Lord says so. Uh, But right now, those are our eight deacons. If you want to know them a little bit more, just go on the website. We got all their pictures and uh, and their names. Uh, Elder candidate, we presented uh, Timmy to you guys as an elder candidate. Uh, Our church believes in, thanks, man. Our church believes in uh, dual eldership. And so we believe that one person making all the decisions isn't healthy. One person bearing the full weight of a growing church isn't healthy. And I got a wife and kids that I just need to spend time with. In fact, that's my first ministry. It's my first priority. And I'm no good to the church if I'm killing it here and, and, and doing horrible at home. That thing needs to be balanced out. Elders help us to make sure that we are sharing the responsibility, sharing the load. And he's doing well. We presented him in November. And we said he has six months of training unless we hear something from one of you that you saw something very sinful that we don't know about. I joked around and said, maybe you saw him slap a a grandmother in the street. (laughs) Then you need to come tell us so that we can pull him down. 
Uh, but right now, he's on track. He's doing, he's doing really, really well. Uh, he is, I'll, I'll announce a little bit more about what he's going to, what his focus is going to be as an elder. Uh, and our church believes that's our two leadership roles, elder and deacon. That's it. We don't have junior ministers. We don't got junior deacons. We got elders and we got deacons. And we believe that the elders lead the church. Deacons help to serve. Does that make sense? All right. Let me move on. Uh, staff, we've operated since the beginning of the year with only one staff member. Well, two, myself, I'm full-time, and uh, Gabe, he's so handsome that I decided not to put a picture up this year. <laughs> we got a little emoji. <laughs> but but let, let, all jokes aside, can, can you guys thank God for Gabe? <laughs> and, uh, he is... Uh, He's our operations manager. Uh, I mean, there, we, at the end of last year, we sat down together and we just listed out all of his responsibilities. You would not believe the amount of stuff that he does to make sure this church is uh, moving. Down to the lights and the heat. Y'all should thank God for the heat today. That's because he paid the bill. <laughs> Amen. So we thank God for him. We are adding a staff member. Uh, we'll announce that to you soon. Uh, but we are adding a staff member just to make sure we beef up how we do um, operations and ministry and admin work. And so uh, he's the only staff member. We, every year, I always put up a picture of him and Keisha because we believe that uh, our church and staff and their families is all family. And so uh, we got a little picture of Keisha up here as well. <laughs> and what I, love, what I love about Gabe and Keisha, by, by the way, they, they were... They, they really were our first couple. I, I never, I'll never forget, in, it was like January. I still got the email, January 2015, when Gabe emailed me about being a part of the church. They, I mean, we, you know, in the beginning, when you don't have nobody, you're just like, yes and amen. I don't know who you are, but yes, let's talk. And so uh, we met with Gabe and Keisha and, uh, man, just fell in love with them. And so they've been a huge blessing to our church. Uh, and they're faithful to Genesis 1:28 which says, be fruitful and multiply. So they're adding to the staff. <laughs> Who did that? And so Keisha is expecting, and so we're so excited about that. Be praying for them, all right? Be praying for them. All right, let me move on. All right, average attendance. I got to move quick, y'all. I got to move quick. Average attendance. Uh, January 2017, we were averaging um, 82 people, eight kids, 82 adults, eight kids. Uh, in January of 2018, we were averaging 192 adults, uh, 16 kids. And in January 20, uh, as of January 2019, we're averaging 272 adults and 28 kids. Let, let me show you this, the, the attendance growth here spells out a little bit better here. If you look at the adults, just from last year to this year, there was a 42% increase in our adults. If you look at the kids, there's 75% increase. That's why I said, y'all having babies, man. Y'all just are. But this points out a greater need. When I talk about we need a larger space, it's not just because of this room. I know it feels tight in here now, but the kids' room needs more space. We got a lot of kids in there that are you know, we're trying to impart the gospel and trying to make sure that they understand who Jesus is. But sometimes the room is so full, all you're doing is trying to control the room, to make sure nobody gets hurt. And so 
uh, be praying for our space issues, those type of increases automatically calls for a bigger space. All right, move, move on. All right, 2019, here's some new ministries that you can expect that are already in full swing. Y'all give me five more minutes, all right? Um, 20, okay, 10 more minutes. Um, 2019, new ministries that are, that, are in, that are in the works. Epiphany Street Runners. We are going to do a, we, we believe in spiritual health, emotional health, uh, but we also believe in holistic physical health. And so uh, I don't see George here. He was in the first service. Uh, but George Doughton, he will be uh, leading our Epiphany Street Runners. It's more than, we're going to get t-shirts to jog. We can gather here and go out and jog around the neighborhood. But there is an evangelistic side to it as well. We're trying to figure out ways we can share the gospel while, while running, trying to figure out how we can talk to people and meet people while we're doing runners, this runners meetings or whatever they're doing. So I'm excited about that. Be on the lookout. Uh, Amos, Amos, which is our uh, justice ministry. Is Nina here? Where's she at? Nina's up. Wave your hand. Hi, Nina. Black Wealth Matters. Hey. All right. So Nina is, is over our justice ministry. This is our church is committed. You cannot read the prophets and walk away and not do justice. It's imp- I mean, that's all they talked about is caring for the poor and caring for the marginalized and caring for the overlooked. Read Micah 6, 8, where it says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with your God? And, and let me just say, doing justice mean, doesn't mean that I'm not doing injustice. Because we think as long as we're not participating in overlooking the marginalized, then we're doing justice. But you've got to be an active participant. And so this uh, Mercy Ministry will help us to make sure that we are serving our neighborhood. They're about to do a needs assessment in the neighborhood. And they're going to figure out what are some of the needs. Because, you know, one of the things we do as a church is we provide ministries and provide outreach, but sometimes we do it and the neighborhood is like, we ain't asking for that. And so a needs assessment will help us to realize what does the neighborhood actually need so that we can actually provide that. So there's a lot of stuff. She has a great vision, great plan that she's going to lay out. This is going to be our way to really focus on how we do uh, uh, justice ministry. Oh. And then, like I mentioned, we're, we're going to have a youth ministry that we're getting ready to start up. Um, it's going to kind of focus on teens, and so we're excited about that. All right, goals for 2019. Ordain one new elder. That's going to be Timmy. Uh, he's going to focus. His title is going to be Discipleship and Community Life Pastor. He's going to focus on discipleship and making sure that we're actually doing community well. Growing discipleship. Here, here's one of the areas that we didn't do well in. Well, let me not say that. We, we had an area of opportunity here. We could have done much better last year in disciple-making. When the church has growth like that, you got to make sure that people are being walked with. And so discipleship is something that is very important for us. Timmy's going to focus on making sure discipleship is happening here at the church. So uh, be on the lookout for ways that we're going to grow in discipleship, planning on strengthening community, strengthening DNA groups. Who does not know what a DNA group is? A couple people. Okay, cool. So I'm not going to explain DNA groups just because we don't have time for it. We do have information out there. Timmy's responsibility is going, to, is going to be to make sure that discipleship, nurture, accountability, DNA is actually happening. And so uh, we're, we're really passionate. We don't believe that someone should be isolated from the community. We believe that everybody in here should be known. This is not a mega church that you can, you know, I'm not against mega churches, but it's not a mega church that you can slip in and slip out. We want to know you. We want to know your struggles, and we want to be able to walk with you. DNA helps us to do that. 
All right, small groups. Uh, we're serious about small groups. We have three, three of them now. Um, and uh, if you don't know about our small groups, it's on our website. We have information on it. Timmy's responsibilities is going to be to make sure that those are functioning well. Wednesday night prayer and Bible, stu- uh, prayer and Bible study is something that we are going to continue to be doing. Continue to raise resources for spread love. That goes all the way through 2019. Find a larger facility. We've already, please be praying about that. We've already started the search. In fact, on Friday, um, I went and looked at another space. And so we're, we're just praying that the Lord would open up the right space at the right time. Um, space is extremely expensive and square footage is just not gracious to us. Uh, so be praying about facility. I just believe that the Lord is going to drop the right thing in our lap. So please be praying about that. We're going to do Sex Rewired 2 this year. We did Volume 1, uh, which we were very honest and open, and there was nothing off the table. How many of you have seen um, Surviving R. Kelly? How many of you have seen it? A few of you. So I, I, I was deeply disturbed. Uh, I, I'm still disturbed. I, I mean, there, there was one night I, I had to tell my wife when I woke up, I was like, I literally couldn't sleep. Like, it, it really, really bothered me. And I'm still, I don't, I'm not... I haven't landed at a, at a good place. I'm still really, really messed up by the whole documentary. But I'm saying that to say Sex, re- sex Rewired is going to help us to make sure we're focusing on, because sex is not just about sex. It's about identity, emotional stability. And, and so, so Sex Rewired this year is going to be, we, we're going to make it lit. We're doing it probably in, uh, in June, but it's definitely going to be sometime in the summer. And so, please, we're trying to step it up. Please be on the lookout for it. Please be praying for it. If you are looking to help, please let us know, uh, because we are doing Sex Rewired this year. All right, I'll, I'll say this real quick. Christian Standard Bible, uh, if, I don't know if you've noticed, but this morning I didn't read from the ESV version. I read from the CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible. Um, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek. It was written in Hebrew, and there's a little uh, Aramaic in Daniel. Daniel, I think it's Daniel chapter 7. There's a little bit of Aramaic there. And so every English translation, any English translation you've ever read was translated from the original language. Y'all, y'all remember the King James? I don't know if y'all still read that. King James, these and thous. I just didn't, I didn't read Shakespeare, so that was kind of hard for me. Uh, seriously, the, the, those these and thous messed me up, and so I realized I needed... I needed something just a little bit more plain. The Message Bible was too plain. It just, it'd be feeling like it's going to cuss. I'd be like, nah, <laughs> can't do the Message Bible. And so I've landed to, on the ESV. Since we, since we started, we've been in the ESV version of the Bible. But we are switching over to the CSB uh, just because uh, I love the focus on the original, uh, original language. It's close to the ESV, but there's a few things that are the words that are slightly different. Uh, and this morning, I intentionally preached from it so you can just kind of get a feel for it. Uh, but we'll be now transitioning from that, from the ESV to the CSB. And as a celebration for you, we have, uh, if you don't own a Bible, if you like physical copies of Bibles and you don't uh, really like just using your phone, we actually purchased some CSB Bibles that we're giving away today. Now, we don't have enough for every, amen, praise God. But we don't got enough for everybody. So seriously, if you really don't grab this for Christmas for somebody next year, don't like <laughs> if you really need a Bible, we have a Bible for you. But if you can leave, if you just like your phone, there's a CSB translation on your phone. So uh, but if you need it, hospitality, raise your hand. Hospitality is over there. 
All right, last slide, our strategic partners are still Acts 29, uh, Orchard Group, which has been planting churches since 1949, North American Mission Board, we're still connected with, and Epiphany Fellowship, which is our mother church, Dr. Eric Mason. Uh, it, they're still our, uh, our strategic partner, and we learn and support all of these partners. Can we thank God for the vision of this church? Let's move on. We're going to transition. Worship team, you guys come up. Band, you guys come up. We're going to transition to a time of communion. I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, let me pray for us as we transition. Father, thank you for this vision. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and in this neighborhood. Man, I'm grateful to be a part, Lord. I really, I'm, I'm privileged to be able to walk and lead this church. And I'm, man, Lord, it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And Lord, I, I, this community is so unique. And I'm talking this church is so unique, oh God. I'm grateful for the honesty. I think about uh, Friday night where we had testimony service and people just felt free to be honest about where they are and felt like they could walk away and not feel judged. But feel like we're all, in, we're all a mess and in need of the gospel. And I'm thank you, oh God, for a church that we're able to be, be us, but not expect to stay in dysfunction but have people around us that push us to Christ-likeness. Father, I thank you, and I pray for this vision. I pray for all of our hearts and dreams that they would be accomplished for your glory, not for ours, but for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.